This is the Action Network Podcast. Yes, it is. It's good. Without further ado. That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. I'm going to leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Absolutely not. Spread the floor. Let's go. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, NBA Playoff Edition. I am your host, Matt Moore, senior NBA writer, joined as always by Raheem Palmer and Brandon Anderson. A reminder that all of the odds today are brought to you by BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network Podcast, and that you can get all of our analysis as well as the numbers that we talk about in the Action Network app, which is the absolute best way to track your bets. All of our analysis, I've got a piece up on Ben Simmons and the best odds to bet on for Ben Simmons' next location over at DraftKings. I've got uh, analysis coming up on DeAndre Ayton. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the lottery after a while. We've got articles up from Brandon Anderson about the lottery and a lot more to come on that. And you could do things like track Brandon Anderson as he attempts to hit a, was it seven or 10 on the parlay that you, for some reason, <laughs> attempted to go for the old. You realize if you would hit that, that parlay, Brandon, that the amount of smug that you would have put out on this podcast would have literally caused a black hole that imploded the planet. I am so grateful the Hawks won that game, not just because I had Hawks plus seven and a half, but because, and by the way, I sprinkle a money line too, a little victory lap of my own, but because if you had hit that, I genuinely fear for the state of our planet. Yeah, I, uh, to be honest, what I, what I was thinking going into the game, and it clearly didn't play out this way, but my thinking was, these are two exhausted teams coming off of Game 7. We know how Raheem hates teams coming off of Game 7. So I was ready for just this slog, this slow defensive game uh, on our props tool, which you got to get. If you're not using the props tool, I don't know what you're doing. Our props tool was all over all these defensive props, like every player that you could go over steals, blocks, anything. So I was like, oh, well, what if I just try to make a single parlay with a whole bunch of steals and blocks? So then I started putting together my parlay, and... You can't put steals and blocks in the parlays. And so I just started to get creative. Like, okay, well, if we get this slow, slog, boring, awful game, what's it going to look like? Well, it's going to be a low scoring, so let's let's take the under. But let's really take the under and go with the alt-under. So I started shooting that down. Getting a lot of rebounds. So I started grabbing the Capella and the Giannis rebound. Just started kind of build the narrative. What's the game look like? I thought the Bucks would win. I think we, we all thought the Bucks would win. But if it's going to be a low-scoring game, you need a close game. Yada, yada, yada. Suddenly I'm up to 250 to one. And it came out exactly 250 to one. I was like, that's a sign. You got to play 250 to one even. And, uh, you know, we had a shot. We had a shot with, with about four and a half minutes left. What we needed was teams to go absolutely ice cold and not the Trey Young kind of ice cold where you just shimmy and shoot all over people. What I needed was four more points, two from each team. And one of them had to be a bucket from Clint Capella. And that's it. And then we would have won a 251 parlay. Didn't quite happen. And, uh, you know, the Hawks can't look. Field, so. Look, these, look these, these, these single game parlays, which you can also do at MGM, by the way, the official Oz provider of the Action Network podcast. The, they're not like, if you're doing like major, like we're not, anytime we talk about these, it's just like we're degenerates and having fun. Like that is it. Because like as much as I want to criticize Brandon, I may, <laughs> may have seen him do that. And then over at Bet MGM, put a 15 to one on, uh, Hawks win the Capella double double from Brandon 
uh, Hawks to f- score first, lost on that because of Brooke Lopez. Uh, Herder, two-plus assists. Again, followed Brandon. That was painful. Uh, and then a, a Giannis triple-double, which was one off on the yeah. – like, this is the thing is – the problem with the with the parlays is you will look at it and you'll like I would look at that and go like I was so close. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Close. It was 15 to 1 and just mm-hmm. look how close I was. But that that that's the point. That's that's why yeah. that's why Raheem Palmer plays totals and sides and live bets and puts big bets <laughs> on very tight bets. Am I right, Raheem? <laughs> yeah. I actually I actually started out my betting career with parlays because in 2009 Delaware Park was the first U.S. operator that allowed you to bet. So I was betting like football parlays and I did this for so long. And I like, I mean, I was fortunate because I was playing stale numbers. So the, the parlay cards would lock on Wednesday. You'd have three other days where you have line movements. So it would be me and like there would be sharp groups coming down there who specifically just would fill out a million cards playing the stale numbers. But Otherwise, I, I just I can't do it just because <laughs> it's so difficult, and you're always gonna have that frustration. I'll show you a, I'll show you a parlay that I had where I had a ten team parlay, and I had two hundred dollars on it, and it was gonna pay me like two hundred thousand. One game loss. When you're batting, you gotta have fun sometimes. You gotta be responsibly have fun. Raheem has fun by winning a bunch of money and then going courtside to back to back game sevens. I have fun by putting a little bit of money on a crazy 250 to one parlay to each their own. So let's start with that game though. Uh, I had Hawks plus seven and a half. I got an eight and a half yesterday when the line eked up for a brief period of time. Uh, I did dabble on the money line. I took Hawks on heat check, which you can check out Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, on action network, including the day that you're going to, this podcast comes out. You'll be able to catch it at, 7 p.m. Eastern before game three of the Western Conference Finals. Going over bets for both today and tomorrow. Make sure to check that out at Action Network HQ on Twitter. Uh, so I, I was pretty confident in the – like, I went back and forth. There was a promo yesterday at a book that uh, Brandon put out that they had actually lowered the odds of plus 100 on the on the Bucks money line. And I looked very seriously at it. It's like it's, a, it's capped for a very small amount. But I was still like, all right, maybe that's like just free money. Because, like, I do, you know, I was like, well, I like the Hawks. The, the, the number's too big. You know, I took them on the money line because I, I do believe that if you're going to take – I think this is especially true in the playoffs. I want to bounce this off both of you. I think if you're – I think more so than the regular season, if you're going to take the spread, you might as well take the money line. I don't th- – now, in the NFL, like Simon Hunter that does the favorites with Chad and is a really sharp professional better, he always says on NFL, if you're look, if you're going to take – the points, but you can put a little bit on, on the money line. I think for, it's different in NBA regular season. I think there's more value in probably playing just the points in the NBA regular season, but in the playoffs, I do believe that if you think that you're getting that this number is too wide, that means that you do think they're going to outperform expectations. And once you're into that range, I do think that there's, there's more value on betting the money line on the dog than there is in the regular season. What do you think about that? Raheem? I agree with you 100%. Um, I think there's only been one scenario in which, well, probably two that I can think of over the top of my head over like the last month where a team is covered and not won. And that was the Brooklyn Nets game three against the Bucks when, you know, the, the Nets were up three and they just kind of, I mean, the Bucks scored every basket from them, then on out. And then last night's Clippers-Suns game and the Suns were up 
six points with two minutes to go before Paul George hit a three. And then Paul George scored every time in order to give them the lead. So I agree with you. I've, actually, I've been playing a lot of underdog money lines this postseason. So I, I think you, if you're going to play an underdog, play the money line as well, just because more often than not, the team who covers the spread is going to win. Well, and I think, too, that that makes a lot of sense because, like, look look who are the underdogs that we've been playing and look who they're playing against. And, like, if you think that Milwaukee is going to be in a close game, so if Atlanta's going to cover, then the game's going to be close. It has to be within five, six, seven points, maybe less late. Well, now you're inviting into the question all the late-game Milwaukee problems that we've been watching all postseason for years now. Same thing with, like, Philadelphia last series. When, when, you, when you're betting on the underdog, if they're going to cover, then you have a close game. And now you've got the Ben Simmons free throw question. You had the Giannis free throw question. Like that immediately came up last night. And so if part of your instinct is, I think the underdog can keep it close here, then that's probably is telling that there, there's something about the favorite that you don't quite trust late. And so if that's the case, then you need to give them a chance to win and really pay off your bet too. Also, I think it's the nature of my fault. I cut you off, but I think it's the nature of how NBA is played today. Like when you look at that Bucks game last night, w- like what did the Bucks struggle with? They struggled to to shoot three pointers. I mean, they were like eight of thirty or whatever from three point range. And if you're eight of thirty from three point range, you're probably gonna lose that game. So here's like a good example of it. Um, and I have to do this for more than a year. Just this season, though. Regular season is minus 4.8% ROI. This would be a bet labs on betting dogs. There was a time early in the season when the dogs were hitting wild. And that's obviously like, we, we have to talk a lot more about this next year when we go into the pod about how you got to focus your betting on that first half of the season before the lines adjust. Like I talked about this with Justin yeah. fan and, and, um, and Preston Johnson too, both on bet streams and a bunch of other stuff about how after all-star break, everything is so sharpened. And the team's motivations and exhaustion and injuries get wild. So I'd be interested to see what those numbers like are, are like for the dogs in the first half of the season. But uh, the playoffs are actually worse, considerably worse for betting the dogs. But that's only if you factor the first round when the disparities between the two teams are so much greater. Second round, and this is a limited number of games, this is a small sample size here. But in the second round and on, you've actually got a 1.1% return on investment and that's only that's on all bets so if we target only the spots that you like your return is probably going to be better there um but as far as this game goes let's talk about hawks uh seth park now talked about this i think that the discussion on the series is fascinating for the reasons that we touched on the other day there's a couple of things to kind of keep in mind here here's what here's my take on what happened i want to get y'all's thoughts on this the first half the Bucks are like, we're going to do what we do. We're starting Brooke Lopez. We're starting big. We're going to drop versus Trey. We're going to give up the floater. We're going to stay home on the shooters, and we're going to stop the lob. We're not going to let Capella kill us. If Trey wants to go off for 40 by shooting floaters, no problem. And Trey killed them with the floater. And this is like, this is a fascinating part of it's not even players in this instance, it's players and coaches. It's the entire at on court organizational unit. It is very difficult to tell players. I know he's killing you. You need to stick with it. I understand how this feels. You cannot adjust. We got to stick with the game plan because 
the Bucks outscored the Hawks by five in the first half. And the Bucks, the Hawks offensive rating was lower in the first half when they were doing that than in the second half when they started adjusting. I started looking at the numbers. They were definably better when they were playing drop. The key is honestly, they need to go. This is this is what the data tells us. Okay. This is what the, the hard numbers tell us about that game. The Bucks' best approach was having Tucker play the five, have Tucker drop, not playing Brook because of the floater. Tucker can get up higher and then recede a little bit further, have him play that way. It feels like, because you like I watched that game too and was like, oh, like Giannis switching on him, that worked because you saw all those contested threes that Trey took. Trey got the assist going in the second half though. This is the problem with switch particularly with with Capella, and this goes back to Houston. If you switch pick and roll, the best way to counter that 100% is you slip the pick with the big, and that guy gets a free reign to the the rim. And as long as you have a passer that can get the ball there, that guy's going to score at a high level. Otherwise, they're going to have to bring help, and then your corner shooters are open. And that's what happened in this game, that – the Bucs couldn't maintain discipline on letting him take those floaters because of how good he was. Seth Part now from The Athletic noted this. Trey was one of seven on floaters in the second half. If they kept with game plan discipline, and by the way, if Chris Middleton could hit water if he fell out of a fucking boat, the Bucs win that game. That game plan, but here's the thing. If you're a better I do not have an answer for you on whether or not Mike Budenholzer and staff or the Bucks as a, as a team are going to be able to maintain game plan discipline going forward. Brandon, let's start with you and your reaction on that. Yeah, I, I'm on board with basically all of that. I, I had a, uh, a friend, a Bucks fan friend, who was texting me during the game last night who was like, bought cheeks clenched from the tip-off of like, like texting me before the game, are, are the Hawks within five points? Are, are they are they like a less than a five point underdog? That's free money. The Bucks the Bucks can't stay ahead of anyone. Like you should be betting that you gotta be betting the Hawks, which I clearly should have listened to him. And he, as the game is going on, he's saying, "Oh man, like here here we go, here we go. We we have to have the Bucks have to pull through. They need to win this for Bud. They have to win this for Bud." And I said, "No, you need the Bucks to lose this for Bud." Like. It, it, in some ways, that they actually lost the game and blew it at the end has to be like, like look what happened after that timeout when, when Trey dropped the three and stared into the abyss for like 20 seconds and shimmied on them. It, it like lit up the Bucks. Like Giannis is over there like yelling at his teammates and getting them to try to pay attention. You lose to the Hawks at, at home in game one. You got to pay attention. You got to take some of those lessons away. And it's like, in, in some ways, Trey was so good that he was almost too good to a detriment, maybe, that it it already forced the Bucks to adjust. Bud adjusted at halftime of game one in a playoff series. That's how good Trey Young was. Bud had to make adjustments like 20, 24 minutes into a series. So we don't know still if those adjustments, like if before game two tomorrow, if the Bucs announce Brooke Lopez is not in the starting lineup, well, now you know as a batter, if, if, they're, if they're taking Brooke Lopez out of the starting lineup from the jump, then you know that this adjustment is coming seriously. 
And that, that to me, Matt, that was my notes too, is that's, I don't know whether it's as a starter or not. I, you know, the closing lineup matters a lot more, but here, here are some of the cascade effects of if you take Brooke Lopez more out of the equation and go with PJ Tucker and Giannis as the bigs, do the switching, do the Tucker drop. So Lopez, by the way, played only 20 minutes in game one and he was minus 14 single game plus minus doesn't tell us a lot, but that one felt pretty accurate. Um, so here's the thing, though. Lopez doesn't have to just get totally benched. I want Lopez on my bench unit because I actually felt like Bobby Portis was actually helpful offensively. He was clearly big-time trouble defensively. But if you have Brooke Lopez paired with Bobby Portis as a bench unit, then you might be able to still get some production out of Portis. Portis had, I think, 11-8 and eight in limited time. He was crashing the offensive glass, keeping them going. Lopez gives them some protection, gets them that, like, even up the bench units a little bit. Also, I want Bryn Forbes in my starting lineup or, or my closing lineup with P.J. Tucker because I like his shooting out there. I like, I like the way that his spacing opens the floor for them on offense. And if, if Forbes is defending against like Bogdanovich or Herter, those aren't like – Bogdanovich is clearly hurt and is not a guy that can really hurt you right now. Herter is not a guy – like it, if Atlanta says, all right, well, we're going to give it to Herter and just let you attack. You I'm sure about that? It. Did you just watch what he did to Steph Curry in game seven? I, I'm going to have to see it. I'm not, if, if your plan is you're going to beat me and go to the finals because Kevin Herter is going to take you there, I'm going to have to see it happen. It, compared to my other options, compared to what I just saw Trey Young do in game one, compared to Collins and Capella, what they did, if my options are you want to have Kevin Herter play one-on-one, and we've got Giannis and everyone else doing all of our stuff on the other end. You're going to have to prove that to me. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I just – I like Bryn Forbes opening the lineup. I feel like it balances their lineup a little better and puts more defense into the bench with Connaughton, more shooting in the offense. I just feel like that that opens a lot of solutions, getting getting Lopez to the bench unit and evening out the lineups a little bit more. So, look, I, I still think the Bucks are live, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, I still think the Bucks are live in the series for a number of reasons. The biggest being that they lost a very close game in which Chris Middleton, uh, what is it the kids say? Oh yeah, he was cheeks last night. Yeah. So uh, they're still very much live in this series. But I, I, I want to point this out. He said like, I want, you know, if they're going to make Kevin Herter beat me one-on-one, that's not what they'll do, Brandon. They'll move, what they'll do is they'll run Herter off of screens. And if Herter is running right. off of screens with Bryn Forbes chasing, if I, if I told you, okay, what do you think about Kevin Herter catching and shooting clean off of screens? Now, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, yeah, now I'm a little concerned, right? Like, right. <clears throat> with Forbes chasing. So, now, the Bucks can switch those. Right, that's why you switch. Right, that you can switch those. The, the problem, I think, there, though, is if you put Forbes on Herter and you switch off-ball, what you're going to wind up with is you're then going to wind up with, with Forbes guarding John Collins, and Collins, I do think, has the moves to be able to get like he he has enough offensive game to be able to get like I, I really need to note this. John Collins has been amazing in these playoffs. Like, yeah, everyone like Trey is going to get the most credit, which he should. He had he tied LBJ amongst like six players for scoring 48 or more in a conference finals game. Holy shit. Uh, he passed off the backboard to John Collins in a, a conference finals game in one of the most like we had back to back oops, that were absolutely incredible. It was just amazing. Um, but Collins has, like, the rebounding late in that game when the Bucks had to go small and switch. The, like, 
this is what's no. I will say this. I was annoyed by the commentary last night because it was funny. If you watch the timeline, half the people are saying, "Look, you gotta just you've got to stay home in your base coverage. You can't let the Hawks get everything involved." And then you got other people being like, "Are you gonna do anything? Or are you gonna let Trey Young hit fifty floaters on you?" And the answer is like, "You're probably gonna let Trey Young to hit fifty floaters on you because it's better than a dunk." And it's better than a corner three pointer. Like the inherent value on a on a on a floater is much better. But then the other half was like, you got to switch everything. You got to put Giannis on him. Why are they not playing Giannis at five? You got to switch everything. Everyone acts like this stuff is so simple. The Hawks put pressure on you in a bunch of different ways because Trey Young is fantastic. But if you switch everything and you go small, guess what happened late in that game? The offensive rebounding advantage dissipated because Giannis was out in the perimeter. And if your guy, if you're if you do not have Brooke Lopez in and you're out on the perimeter, your rebound rate goes down. Like, there's there's all these yeah. complicated mechanics of, of counter matchups, and I'll just say this, like, if you say, like, well, what can the Bucks do to put pressure on the Hawks? The answer is honestly what they did in game one. They got great looks in that game. They got awesome looks in that game. They got dunks for, for like, Giannis had a massive game. Drew Holiday was fantastic. Mids looks were good. Like, the corner threes were open. The Hawks defense was not prepared for what the Bucs brought to them. The Bucs missed shots. The problem was, and we talked about this the other day, I said, yeah. every single time that we're in a playoff series with the Bucs, they never shoot as well as they should. I'm not saying the Hawks are going to win this series yet. I think they're live, obviously, after winning game one. Like, teams in this spot, I think, are 21 and 11. We looked at that the other day. Um, in this spot when they win game one on the road in the conference finals. They're live. Um, I just think that the idea that there are all these easy components to try and solve, like, oh, it's so obvious the Bucks need to do this. There's not. There are counters to everything the Bucks can do because the Hawks have really well-balanced personnel that are all playing well. Like, the answer to, for everything the Hawks are doing, if you're asking, well, how do they beat it? You outscore them. That's how you beat it because – the personnel that you need in order to, to, to beat the Hawks, I'm not sure. It's not that they're unstoppable. It's that with the way that they're playing right now, where you have the shooting component and you do have Capella that can finish at the rim and you do have Trey that's so good at the floater and you do have the ability to slip and switch and you do have the ability to hit the floater versus like there is not a coverage that I can tell you after all my years in the NBA where it's like, well, if they do this, then the Hawks don't really have an answer. There's not one. There's just not one. Um, Raheem, I'll ask you this. So Brandon and I both get, get caught up on, on these kind of things on the basketball side, which is, mm. and, and this is something we've talked about on heat check. There's a difference between as betters talk. You can get caught into, well, the bucks should do X. And so they'll do X and then they'll win. I think we have to focus a lot more on what are the Bucks going to do? What are these teams going to do? And so from that perspective, what do you think is the best value going forward in this series? Um, I agree with you. I think that's something I've like, I've spoken about for years. It's kind of like the assumption of like rational decision-making. Mm-hmm. It's like, how many times do you feel like, you know, this guy should play in, in this, this spot or they should make this adjustment and they're not just going to do it. For me, I just – I've really struggled to see how the Hawks are going to win this series with a banged-up Bogdanovich and you no know, DeAndre Hunter. I just think yeah. the yeah. – I, I think 
the Bucks offense lost that lost that game yesterday. Um, how many times is Chris Middleton gonna go 0 for nine from three? Like I just as many times as he feels like it. Apparently, I, I just don't see it happening. <laughs> I just and then also, I mean, you're basically dependent on Trey Young to score 48 points every game, and I, I just to me, if that's what's gonna happen, then I'm willing to bet against that. Like I know some sharp betters who are all over the Hawks. But I, I'm really struggling to see. And, like, honestly, like, the Bucks down the stretch defensively, they did a good job of pushing Trey Young out on the perimeter and making him take – like, Trey Young took some really tough shots in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, but but like, you, like you said, with them switching everything, they gave up a lot of offensive rebounds. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look, I, the, the two of the biggest plays down the stretch were – an offensive rebound by Collins that led to a Collins three-pointer, and then Clint Capella's putback was the game winner, essentially. Yeah. Like, yeah. before free throws. Um, so, this is the – so, here – that is kind of the question, Brandon, is, like, if they don't play Brooke. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. then, you know, it, it, I like to think about – it. so, if you make the adjustment that we're suggesting, then what's the adjustment to the adjustment? And if you're Atlanta and and Milwaukee is gonna not play Brook, Atlanta already thrives on offensive rebounding. They're just gonna crash even harder. Capella and Collins had nine offensive rebounds in that game. Capella and Collins had 35 points and 34 rebounds between them, and they scored that on 17 of 23 shooting. It was basically just like free rebounds and points anytime that they were getting touches because of the way that that Trey was opening things up. So, okay, that's the counter adjustment is, all right, well, now the Hawks are crashing the glass. Okay, well, here's the counter-counter adjustment. The Bucks are best when they run, and they're best in transition. And if you're crashing the offensive glass and you've got Collins and Capella really crashing the glass, and it's because Giannis is away from the hoop, well, now I need to respond by, okay, we're going to give up some of those easy offensive rebound putback points. That's part of – that's part of what happened here. If you're if you're playing the Hawks, they're going to get some of those. But when you get the rebound, you run, and now Collins and or Capella are behind the play. And now you got Trey Young and Herter Bogdanovich are your only transition defense, and the Bucks are going back the other way, getting some of those easier points that you're giving up the easy points on offensive glass. So I think like there there are adjustments to the adjustments. Um, I I think too, this is a series. This spot is a series where the Bucks finally really missed Dante DiVincenzo. Like we were talking before about, well, if you're taking Brooke off the floor, who's the other guy? And the answer shouldn't be Bryn Forbes. And the answer shouldn't be Pat Connaughton. It should be DiVincenzo because he's kind of like your moderate option in between those guys where he can actually hit some of those shots. Like think mm-hmm. about yeah. Pat Connaughton had that late mm-hmm. open three-pointer. Oh, and man, it sucked. It sucked. But like you don't, if you're Atlanta, I, I, you're okay with that. If, yep. if that's yeah. the shot Milwaukee's going to beat you with and it's Pat Connaughton, you're like, all right, then beat us with that. But then Chris Middleton also yeah. had like two game-tying or game-winning attempts from three right. and just badly missed both. And you're just well, like... And, yeah, I mean, the thing, too, is we, we, we've said this a lot on the podcast. We can get so caught up in everything being binary. The Hawks won. The Bucks lost. Oh, my God, the sky is falling. Like the Bucks almost won the game, despite all the bad things that we're saying. The the Bucks were winning by four yeah. with like a minute or two left. The Hawks had that one possession where they they looked like they were just 
getting to panic mode. They were like trying too hard to get threes up and they fired up a three, got the rebound, fired up another three, got the rebound again, finally fired up the third three with Collins in the corner and hit it. And that was the thing that flipped the switch. And then the Bucks switched to panic mode. But even then, Middleton hits that three at the end of the game. We go to overtime. I think we probably all still feel pretty good about the Bucks in overtime. And now you're suddenly coming away with like, oh man, the Bucks are a title team. They didn't have anything go their way. They didn't hit their shots. They had all Trey Young had the game of his life and the Bucks won anyway. Like we're that close. We're one shot away from that being the story today. So I, I don't think it's panic city. You still have to take things away as Milwaukee, but we can't just say like, oh, Atlanta, they got this now. They, they, they hit a shot. Let me, let me reframe the narrative because the, look, we've, we've, uh, mm. I'll say this bet. The narrative has never taken so many L's in a postseason. I mean, it's taken some L's this postseason. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, which is great. I'm excited for that. I would rather it be about matchups and X's and O's. Um, mm. But even then, like, even then above that, the the greater narrative for the 2021 season really is way for the injuries. Like, that's that's really been it. But here's, like, the narrative on the Bucks, okay, Brandon? Um, the Heat were one of four teams to make the Final Four last year. Three of those teams went out in the first round. The fourth team got swept in the second. Okay. So they face the heat. They go out. Okay. We, we talked about how the heat, like Raheem was all over the heater frauds all year. Second round. No Kyrie. No Harden for most of the series. Harden comes back. He's a shell of himself. Okay. The Hawks are without DeAndre Hunter. But that's it. Like everything else. Bogdanovich is banged up, but he's still playing, right? Like hit a three, still playing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And we do have, like, this is the big thing is if they had just hit their shots, but this is the problem is, and like somebody noted this, like their shot making in the first two rounds wasn't good. Like their shot made, I was arguing, I was talking with a Bucks fan last night that I know. um, And he was talking about how, like, if we're going to win the series, it's going to be our defense. I was like, it's not. It's not like you have to, you are going to have to outscore the Hawks because their offense has so many weapons specifically positioned to make you pay in a playoff setting. I wish I had talked more about the Hawks in that article I wrote about playoff teams versus regular season teams. Like I'm, I'm kicking myself that I didn't really note that. Um, You also talk about the transition stuff. I got to tell you, like there's two reasons that's really tough. One coaches if you just say hey we're going to give up some offensive rebounds every single coach is going to hiss like a cat like they would like there's and that's not a bud thing that's every coach every coach is except for like mike d'antoni and like donnie like don nelson right uh enjoying his time in hawaii like every other coach is going to be like they can't like can't can't just be like oh yeah we're going to give up some offensive rebounds they hate that giving up second chance points second um they ha- they got some really good transition opportunities with Portis, by the way, on court in that first half. Second half, that slows down because guys get tired because it's really exhausting. And the other thing is, if you're playing switch, it gets even more exhausting. Switch is exhausting. It's tiring. It's tiring for the offense, trying to get around guys, and it's tiring for the defense. So I'm not sure the transition is the way to go. Um, all right, let's look at the odds here before we move on. Um, we've got the Hawks moved – to plus 165 to win the series. Um, the spread is now 
Bucks minus two and a half is four twenty-five. Bucks minus one one and a half is minus is plus one thirty-five. Uh, Hawks plus one and a half. So to win or force it to seven is now minus one sixty. Do we have any thoughts on the value on this? And here's the other one: uh, over five and a half is now minus two seventy-five. Under five and a half games is plus two thirty. Brandon, do you do you think this is a time you've got the Bucks now down to on the series price at minus two hundred? Is it now, or do you want to wait for the Hawks to take another game before you bet the Bucks? Yeah, I was looking at those just before we hopped on here, and I, I think I, I'm going to at least think pretty hard about taking that Bucks minus one point five at plus one thirty five. That that's the one that's got my attention here. Um, I my my big takeaway right now is I'm definitely not in panic mode for the Bucks, but you have my attention. <laughs> I, I can't say, I don't know how many times on our podcast over the last few weeks, we've gotten to whatever the Hawks series was and done it in like four minutes when we've gotten like 20 minutes on all the other ones, like, oh, <laughs> the Hawks, they're, they're hanging around. Uh, yeah, but Philly's better. So they're going to, you know, like, we, we all have just collectively continued to shrug off Atlanta over and over again. At, I think finally we can't anymore. <laughs> They, they, I think they, they're only the third team in NBA history to win three game ones of a playoff series. Um, they, they just keep showing up. And so they're, they're here for this. They're here for the fight. I think I still feel pretty good about, about the Bucks winning the series. I don't know that they're going to have to go to seven. And so Bucks minus 1.5 at plus odds, like that's a chance to, to, to get the Bucks to, like I think there's a scenario where the Bucks make enough adjustments and are enough the better team still that they could just win the rest of the series. I think that that wouldn't shock me. That would be in play to me. The Bucks winning in six is winning four of the next five. I still think the Bucks are a, the better enough team. My, my feel coming away from last night is I'm not ready to just give up on the Bucks yet. However. I no longer necessarily feel like the Bucks are a clear title favorite to me. From what we saw last night, I don't know if that means that the Hawks are going to beat the Bucks, but boy, does it make me not feel great about the Suns playing the Bucks into the finals. And so the, the other one that I'm looking at is, so after last night at BetMGM, our official odds sponsor, Bucks-Suns finals is now minus 155. And I think we all feel like the Suns are going to close that series out. You never know. It's only 2-0 in the Clippers, yada, yada. We'll get back to that in a second. But minus 155 is giving you not long juice on what is a likely Suns closeout and then the Bucks winning it. The other thing, too, is if you feel like you have a read on how that series plays out, either one over the other. So Bucks over Suns or Suns over Bucks are now exactly the same. They're at plus 175. So if you're looking at last night and you're like, okay, I think that the Bucs can still win the series, but if, if Trey Young is slicing and dicing, and if, if Herter and Bogdanovich and Collins are hitting these open jumpers, what's going to happen when it's Chris Paul and when it's Devin Booker doing the slicing and dicing all game? And what's going to happen when it's McHale and Jay Crowder and all these other guys hitting the shots? What's going to happen when it's Downry Ayton in the inside? If that's the takeaway and suddenly you're thinking about Suns over Bucks at plus 175, I think that could be an interesting play as well. Mm. Raheem, what do you like for the series? I, I think this series I think this series is the 2001 finals. 
<laughs> like Trey Young had his Allen Iverson game. And I think it was a cute story and everything like that. But I think the Bucs are going to win this series. I, I just think the all – I can't – like, when we look at the Bucs, their worst game throughout the entire postseason was in game ones. Like, they had a 97 – off, they had a 98 offensive rating in game one against the Heat before, you know, finally clicking offensively. They, they – like, I mean, games one and two against – the Nets were just horrible offensively, and then they finally found something. So I, I'm expecting more of the same, and I, I just think I think they're going to figure out something with the pick and roll coverages with Trey Young. I don't think Trey Young is going to play as well as he did. I, I mean, honestly, like they kind of really got lucky with those offensive rebounds at the end of the game. So I'm a pro, like I'm I'm kind of a safe better. Like I want to give myself some margin for error. So I I wouldn't lay you know minus one and a half or bucks for one, just because the Hawks could easily win one of those games at home. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would take the bucks minus minus 200. I think it's, it's, it's a good number. I mean, they're going to be seven and a half point favorites in game two, and they're probably going to be short favorites on the road. So if Trey Young's going to drop 48 points on me every, every night, then to only win by three or so, I, I, I got to take it. Instead of going now, I'll say this. Um, I don't like one and a half at plus 135 at all because yeah i don't i don't like it at all the reason brandon is you, you have to say then the bucks are going to win four of the next five right that's no 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 uh the hawks are going to get at least one more now I, like i think the hawks are live in the series uh i also don't care at this point because i got sun's bucks at plus 2500 <laughs> earlier in the month that's on june 2nd and so mm-hmm. i've hedged with hawks clippers and hawks suns and i'm in a good spot i'm fine I'm, I'm fine. I'm just going to be playing it game by game. Um, I, I think the series is very dangerous just based off of a lot of this is, well, if the Bucks just shoot, mm, I can't trust them. <laughs> Let's go to the Western Conference. Uh, two great games, two phenomenal games. The narrative is absolutely out of control right now, though. I will tell you guys this. I'm going to go ahead and start this. We're going to start this on the other side and just go this way right off the bat. <clears throat> the... Los Angeles Clippers are plus 550 to win the series. The Suns are minus 800. Chris Paul is going to play in game three. It was reported yesterday by Chris Haynes. The Suns followed up by making him probable for game three. If he's listed as probable, there is zero chance in my mind that he will actually not play in a playoff game. Uh, You can get right now, theoretically, uh, you can get Clippers plus two and a half at plus money at plus 125. Uh, Raheem, let's just start with you. I've got Clippers tonight on the money line as dogs at home. Love this bet. Like the Clippers here. Love the Clippers here. There's a billion reasons why. Am I wrong? I was thinking Clippers first quarter and first half. I think, you know, playing that spot with the team down 0-2, I think it's a, it's a really great spot. I'm a little concerned for the Clippers if – the, the biggest concern I have for the Clippers is their bigs. But their three-point shooting is, like, totally overcoming that. Like, I mean, they they have 33 threes in this series compared to the Suns' 19. And I, I just think they're shooting so well that it's keeping them in games. And then also, I was really impressed with their defense on Devin Booker in game two. Like, it was, to me, it was the best defense they played the entire postseason. Um, other than, you know, when Donovan Mitchell started to get banged up. But they've really, they've really, like, I, I like the way they play defense in, in game two. So I think they kind of found something. And with them being at home, I do think they have an extra boost. So I agree with you. But I'm looking 
probably first quarter and first half, just because I think that that desperation um, effect should have should should really have an impact. And then also, I think Tyron Lue is really going to find like he's been slow to adjust in these po- this postseason. Like game one, he he played Cousins way too much with the, with the starting lineups of the Suns. He played Zubac way too much. I think he knows what he has to do now, like going small. So. I think one of the things which you have to do with Tyron Lewis, you kind of have to play him later in series just because he's so slow to adjust. So I agree with you. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-88-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. This is a number I want to throw at you guys because I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with this. All right. DeAndre Aiden, who's been fantastic. I'm running about him right now for action uh, on the floor versus Avita Zubac in the series. The Clippers have outscored the Suns by 3.4 points per 100 possessions. Oh, wow. Yeah. They have a, the Clippers have a 116 offensive rating with Aiden on the floor versus Zubac. This is the kicker. The, like this is, and this is honestly pretty wild. So the the Clippers have that one sixteen offensive rating with Zubac on the floor versus Aiton, and in those minutes, Marcus Morris is three of thirteen, and Paul George is eleven of twenty nine. Wow. So the Morris and George have shot ter- terribly in what should be a bad matchup for the Clippers with Zubaj up against Aiton because because you have to play drop. And the Clippers have won those minutes by three points per hundred possessions, which is a considerable margin, especially in the playoff series with a 116 offensive rating. Now, now, the key on this is as good as campaign has been. Cam's good at three-pointers and Cam's good at attacking the basket on closeouts. Cam can't actually run the offense. There are limitations to what campaign can do. The numbers, they are scoring less than one point per possession, nine, actually 0. 0.906 with campaign versus drop coverage in this series. Chris Paul returns for game three. So if Zubach drops, Chris is going to get to that mid-range every single time. So your bet on game three, I am telling you, whether it's the total or whether it is the side, 
need to be predicated on what you think Chris Paul is going to do in this game, specifically from a scoring perspective. That is that to me is literally going to be the difference in whether this is a win or a loss for the Clippers, Brandon. I think the Clippers defense is in big trouble right now because here, here's what's happened. Both games of the series, the Suns have shot 63% on two pointers in game two. The Suns were 35 out of 56 on twos. And don't forget that was the game when Devin Booker couldn't make anything. Take Booker out of that equation. The rest of the, the Suns outside of Booker were 31 of 43 on two pointers. That's 72%. And that's a lot. That's a lot of two pointers. Those are like, I know it's three is greater than two. And I know that the, like the Clippers are hitting their shots and they're closing the gap. But if you're going to keep giving up that many automatic twos over and over again, and that percentage can really only go up if Chris Paul is in and creating even better looks because it's Chris Paul creating the looks instead of campaign. Now, like that defense, it, it's not holding up. And like we saw, we saw the small ball thing. And suddenly it's like Morris is down to 24 minutes. Batum didn't even play in the first quarter and only played 15 minutes. Like the, the Clippers are run out of bodies a little bit right here. And so I actually, so game two, it looked like the Clippers were going to steal that game. If you watch soccer, there's a term called a run of play where, where like when you're watching the game, even though it can be like zero, zero and it's just tied and it's going back and forth, but like, you know, who's winning the game right now. It hasn't happened yet. The goal hasn't come yet. But the way they're coming in the waves, they're just coming. They're coming after coming, and the, they're, they're getting attacks on. They're getting the shots on, and sometimes the run of play, the team that's winning the run of play, doesn't win the game. That's what was going to happen in game two. The Suns were winning that game. The Suns felt like they were in control. Suddenly, for like four minutes at the end, the Clippers had stayed just close enough. Suddenly, hit a bunch of shots, and they look like they're going to steal a game. We know that can happen, but so far through two games. The Suns have controlled the run of play. The Suns have felt perfectly comfortable and in control for two games, and now they're getting Chris Paul back. And so I just feel like, like I look at tonight, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I'm going the other way from you guys. I'm playing the Suns to sweep, and here's why. Because I think tonight is, is going to be a tough game. I think tonight is something close to a coin flip. That's about where the books are pricing it. I think that's about right. We, we know how good teams are when they're down 0-2. They're playing at home. I agree with the first quarter, the first half thing on the Clippers. It's going to be a hard, hard game to pull. But look at the Clippers. If the Suns can win tonight, and if they're 50-50, then the Suns can win tonight. Now you're the Clippers. You're down 0-3. Chris Paul just came back. Kawhi Leonard ain't walking through that door. The rest of your guys are getting banged up. You're down 0-3. You just come off of back-to-back seven-game series. Like if the Suns win tonight, it's done. And the Clippers aren't coming back and putting up a big fight. And we've seen how good the Suns are in closeout games so far this, this postseason too. So Suns to sweep at BetMGM right now is plus 260. And I think to, to me, that's giving me something akin to a plus 260 money line for Phoenix to win tonight. Because if they get the job done tonight and go up 3-0, I think it's a wrap and I don't think that the Clippers mentally are going to come back out for the fight in game four. So the question I have for you is what do you make of Chris Paul not playing in a week and a half? Yeah. I mean, I I don't, how does that factor into your handicap? Yeah. So one of our, one of the props today, uh, one of our props that are up already 
is I'm actually taking the Chris Paul under on points. Uh, his scoring hasn't been huge in a lot of postseason games anyway. Obviously, part of that is that shoulder injury that was happening earlier. He was huge against Denver. He was not scoring against L.A. Um, I don't think that Chris Paul is going to play huge minutes. When we've seen guys come back from these extended absences these seasons, they're usually kind of eased back into things. So I'm not expecting like vintage Chris Paul to just show up and take over the game. But what I am expecting is Chris Paul, whatever version of him we're getting for however many minutes we're getting, is playing instead of Etwan Moore and is playing instead of like a few more campaign minutes. And so like, that's the trade that we're, we're making is getting Chris Paul into those minutes. And like, he, you know, he doesn't forget how to play basketball. Like the, the conditioning maybe is going to take a little bit to come back into play, but I think too, it's going to be interesting. You talked about the, the Tyloo adjustments that are coming and I think it's very fascinating that like this, this is when Ty Lue's adjustments have kicked in the last two series. The clips go down 0-2, and then the adjustments start coming. And we see it kind of peek through in game three, and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Well, the Suns are accidentally making a huge adjustment right now because they're just putting Chris Paul back into the mix of things. So it'll be really interesting to me to see what does Ty Lue have up his sleeve to try to adjust to what the Suns have already been doing well if they've already been winning the run of play but now how do the Suns already adjust for that by, by Chris Paul going back into the equation? So I don't think Chris Paul is like the panacea to fix everything for the Suns, but I also don't think the Suns have had all those many things to fix. They shot six of 26 on threes last game, 23%, and won the game. Like Devin Booker couldn't hit anything. They didn't hit their threes. Mikhail and Jay Crowder like stopped shooting when they missed early. But they, they won. Still won the game. But they won because of Paul George's missed free throws and one of the best inbound plays in NBA history. Yeah, but they also won. No, because... no, 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 that like we gotta, we gotta just. That's like it. Like they, they did win, <laughs> right? But they won because of a very weird. Because like this goes back to your earlier point where you're like, it felt like the Suns controlled the run of play. So why didn't they cover? They're at home. The the Clippers didn't shoot well either. Paul George didn't have a great game. Why didn't they cover? Because the because the Clippers made a bunch of shots in the like the last four minutes, like the Suns won for forty four minutes, and then the Clippers made shots late, and and then it went. But to they the never kicked them off. They never kicked them off the the rope. Though. You're absolutely right. But they were yeah. missing Chris Paul. They're missing their best player, and so like to to play that poorly of a game with all those missed shots and with so many of your guys not showing up, and with Chris Paul not out there, and still controlling the game and and putting yourself in a great position to win somewhat comfortably anyway that's good that's a good thing if you can do that even if you blow the somewhat late and like paul george did miss the free throws paul george shouldn't have had the free throws that was like one of the biggest ball don't lie free throws i've ever seen before and let's talk too about uh let's mention the odds on this matt because you you contacted the books about this yesterday and we wrote about this at uh up at action network so the value which is an awesome name for a play. And that is a play that we are going to remember for a very long time. So Matt talked to books at, uh, and bet MGM. So right now the Suns are minus 800 to win the series. Bet MGM told Matt that if that alley-oop goes awry, they miss it, you know, the pass is off, goes off the back of the backboard, whatever happens. There's a hundred things that could have gone wrong. They don't get a timeout for free off of the 700th replay to set it up, whatever it is. Suddenly, the Suns are only minus 165 to win the series instead. So right now, the Suns are implied 89% to win the series. Instead, they would have been at 62%.
So that is uh, almost a 30% swing in how likely the Suns are to win the series. Yeah, but that's so that's what's interesting, I think, is um, if you're betting the series and you want to know like how to factor it, the, the, I think that's actually a great way to put it. Do you think that the Suns winning that game was worth 750 points of value? Like that that's really what it comes down to. If you look at that and you go, like I look at that and I go, you know what? Great win. That's like maybe the difference in the series. I do think it's gonna be the difference in the series. Mm. But I also think that because they needed everything to go that way, the Clippers are live in the series. I do not like I, I will say I do not like the Suns to sweep bet. Now I'm willing to be wrong. Like we'll see tonight. I do agree with you. If they lose tonight, it's done. So I'm basically saying like the Clippers have to to win tonight. There's no way the Clippers win tonight. And I can't necessarily say that like things can go awry. That's just something that happens. Um, I do think you mentioned like the, the matchup stuff and like the, what's the adjustment. A lot of it, it here's what it is. Uh, Batum has the best on court net rating of any Clipper in the series. That's going to be the adjustment is Batum's going to play more. They're going to play and 15 he's been, minutes last game. What, like why, why, why did, why did he play? Because Ty, what, because Ty Lue takes until game three to make the adjustments, Brandon, <laughs> like no, he's going to play, that's he's going to play Batum more and Rajon Rondo less. That's been the adjustment in each of the, in the last two se- series has been, he plays Rondo because it's Rondo and Rondo's going to do Rondo things. And then Rondo doesn't do Rondo things I'm like, Oh, we should actually play the good players. Okay. Now, now we'll just play the good players instead. Um, here's another thing. I do think Marcus Morris, well, he, Marcus Morris has knee soreness. That's there's been no discussion of a strain of a terror mm. of anything like that. Maybe he's got it. That's possible, but I think it's entirely also possible that Marcus Morris just feels better today and that would help them. Yeah. That, that's, that's just called like being in your thirties. I'm also questionable with knee soreness. That's just waking up every day. <laughs> hey. All right. Um, let's go over a couple of things real quick. While we were on this podcast, actually, Rick Carlisle got hired as a coach of the Indiana oh. Pacers. Oh, my. Big wow. deal. So um, I will just say wow. that I like the move. I also think this probably indicates that Carlisle got word that the Bucks are not going to fire Mike Budenholzer no matter what. So I'm very sorry, Bucks fans, because I would presume that Carlisle was going to wait for that job to become available. Uh, Carlisle, I think will do good with the Pacers. I also think this increases the odds of a Malcolm Brogdon trade by about 700% because Rick Carlisle does not get, get along with point guards. Never has, never will. He fought, wow. with, he fought with, he fought with Jason Kidd. He fought with Darren Collison. He fought with OJ Mayo. Wasn't even a point guard. Uh, he fought, he, he clearly had battles with Luca. He doesn't get along with his guards. He just does not get along with his guards. That's a thing. So I'll just tell you, like, this is not based off of intel. I'm just saying, like, after they go through a couple, maybe a season, maybe it'll be two. There's going to be problems between Rick Carlisle and Malcolm Brogdon, unless that is the one guy who is who is just so cerebral that he and Carlisle get along. But I don't necessarily see Carlisle like Carlisle is, is a very smart guy, but like Brogdon is a true intellectual. Like he's going to do amazing things in public health policy after he gets out of the NBA. Like he's already doing great work off the court, uh, different kinds of approaches. And so I think that there's going to be tension there, but I think the Pacers will overall be better and they'll wind up being good. I'll, I still kind of want to see if they're going to trade one of the bigs this summer. Um, but that's a deal that happened. You got, do either of you have reactions to Carlisle getting hired? Yeah, I mean, I think that's – I love it. I love it for Indiana. Yeah. Anytime you can bring in Rick Carlisle, like that, that is a team that I was really excited about this season because if – this past season, if their starting five had actually ever played together, like even for a second, I was excited to see what that was going to look like because 
it's a very good five. Like it's just five good players to be able to, to roll that lineup out. And we never really got to see it. So I think to give that to Carlisle, we saw Indiana's bench come through like uh, TJ McConnell win for TJ. He's going to be playing a lot. We know mm-hmm. how Carlisle loves to play those undersized point guards. Like TJ is going to be out there in like a three point guard lineup. Some of these games, um, Justin holiday developed well. Yeah. I, I think that Indiana's going to be really good. Like I can see that team if they're healthy and with Rick Carlisle, like that's an over I'm definitely looking at now coming the next season. And that's a team that I could easily see like bumping up into that like three, four seed range because the talent has already been there. And Carlisle, like the thing that he does, there, there, there are some of the personnel things we know about that, but he's so good at figuring out, okay, these guys on my team, what do they do well? Well, I'm going to have them do that now. I'm going to have them succeed at the things they do well. And I'm going to hide the things they don't do well. And I know that seems obvious, but we've just been saying coaches don't always do that. And Carlisle is so good at, at taking limited guys and letting them do the thing that they're awesome at. And he's, he's got a lot of talent here. No, no superstar necessarily. Sorry to mm-hmm. Demona Sabonis fans, uh, but a lot of talent at five positions. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for what Miles Turner will look like um, because I think that that's a, a player with a very specific skill set that could be a limited skill set or a very good one if you if you have a coach like Carlisle who knows how to unlock it. So I think it's a great move for them. Yeah, with, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, anytime you can get one of the best coaches in the league and you can replace Nate Bjorken, I, I think you, you come out with a win. And then you're also getting T.J. Warren back this year. You're getting Miles Turner back. So it's just like this team hasn't been healthy the whole year. They didn't really enjoy their coach. So I, I think, you know, they're easily a playoff team and, you know, they could be a team that's going to, you know, challenge the team in the playoffs. Um, I just wish the Sixers could have got Carlisle for Doc, but <laughs> – so I'm a little I'm a little salty about that, but hey, I just want to congratulate you, Raheem, because we had news dropped on us during the podcast, and it didn't take you three hours to come up with a position on it. So good job. I'm just want to like good job. Like you, <laughs> you were you were quick to th- if you only you were as quick with your takes uh, on your feet as you are with your bets. But I think one's more profitable for you. Before we go, let's talk <laughs> real quick about the NBA lottery. Uh, obviously you're listening to this, you know, the results of the lottery. We have a lot of content up on action network uh, already. Uh, Brandon, did a breakdown of Cade. You can do all sorts of stuff there. Uh, read stuff about that. I am seeing that there are books starting to put out draft position props. You can get first, second, third, and fourth, and you can get player draft position on some of them. Uh, I will go ahead and put out, put this out there. My number one is going to be uh, Kaminga over. So for him to go later in the draft, um, I think that there's a very good chance that he's just simply, I, I am my Brandon, my, my, my target is going to be going for guys. I think that teams have shifted and no longer take raw guys as soon. I think they want more polished skill sets with where the play of the game is at right now. To me, that makes sense, except that I think it's going to depend a lot on who the team is that's making the pick because uh, you look like some of the teams like the Houston Rockets, like Orlando, Oklahoma City. First of all, Orlando and Oklahoma City, not exactly known for taking polished players in the draft. <laughs> like, find me someone who's like a hyper athlete, like Keon Johnson just had a 48-inch vertical leap. Sign him up for Orlando or Oklahoma City. You got a hyper-athletic wing that doesn't know how to shoot yet. Like, we, we got GMs drooling over bringing, bringing those guys to one of those teams. But I, I think to me is... It's an interesting draft this year because Toronto picks at four, uh, Golden State picks at seven. 
these are teams that certainly the fans are clamoring for polish. I want the guy who's ready now. I want someone to come in and play right now, not the guy who might play five years from now after he develops two years in the G League and then like costs us a bunch of games and then eventually gets good. I, I think that the divide is where is your team at? If you're the Rockets, if you're the Thunder, if you're the Magic, you got to take swings. You can't necessarily take the polish. You've got to take the long-term plan. In some of those cases, that's, that's good. You don't want the polish. You want the long-term plan that actually makes you lose more now and keeps your picks high for the next year. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. The Raptors moving up to four is huge for them, for their franchise to get like that one step back for one year, even a half a year. Like, I think we all thought if they had tried, they probably could have made the play-in tournament this year and made a push. And instead, they took a little bit of a step back and they get a big pick now. So to be able to add like a Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green to that core or be able to use that as a valuable trade chip, um, I think it's a big spot for Toronto. So Toronto and Golden State, I think if you're looking at how does it impact next year's NBA, those two teams are the teams that I think have, have a spot now to really add a key piece or to use that pick to add a key player piece and, and like affect the contender picture. Raheem, are you going to bet the, the draft at all? Not at all. <laughs> Nothing. Unless You're not going to do a, a single a single thing. We're not going to talk you into one one prop on it. Unless I get like a a tip from somebody who's like really sharp or like one of you two. I like I'm how you or, I like how you saved or yourself. one of us too. Yeah, I like or, how you saved yourself there. Unless I get a tip from somebody who's really sharp. Dot dot in, dot. Including you two. No, including one of y'all too. I mean, you know what it is. I just um I don't watch any college basketball. That's the disadvantage that I have. Or when it comes to like the draft. So it's just like, I, I feel like I'm literally gambling. So it's just like, I'm probably going to be hitting you two up and seeing what you guys are on or, you know, talking to some other gamblers and see if, if there's anything there. But otherwise, I'm not going to have anything on it. Uh, we're we're going to have uh, some profiles coming out on like, the top five. So Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, and Jonathan Kuminga will have profiles coming on them. We have shorter profiles on some of the international guys and some of the guys mm-hmm. a little bit deeper down the draft and some sleepers to watch for. Uh, we're going to be writing about some trends coming in the draft. So we're about one month out right now. So pay attention. Uh, keep keep an eye on the Action app. Make sure you've got that. Make sure you're on the site. Lots of draft content coming. We're down to only one NBA game a day, and we may only have like 13 or 14 games left on the season. So I, I, as the games start to thin out a little bit, it, we're moving towards some draft coverage. So make sure to keep an eye out for that stuff. Yeah, and I'll have stuff up based yeah. off of Intel from what I hear around the league and some other things. The number one thing I'll tell you is do not, do not, do not look at the major mock drafts and place your bets based off of those. Oh, do not. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. And the the biggest reason, it's not that those guys are not plugged in. They are more plugged in than They're I am. Too on plugged in. Um, there are there are influencers on those drafts that sometimes will ignore the context of the teams and selection position. And oftentimes decisions are influenced by scouting departments more than some of the political stuff at the top. It's a complicated process. Mm-hmm. Those the analysis on those picks are always really great. I'm just telling mm-hmm. you from a betting perspective, don't take, don't look at the, at the, at, don't look at the major mocks from the major companies and go, Ooh, they've got this guy as four. He's four, he's four, five, and six, and his prop is, is six and a half. 
do you got to have better, more singular, very selective approaches on that stuff. Um, Killian Hayes is a great example of this. Killian Hayes was projected way lower on most of the major mocks last year, but the guys that do in-depth draft work for teams had him much higher and him going top 10 was a pretty easy bet that we cashed on last season. All right, let's go wrap it up for the action network podcast. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to rate review and subscribe. Check out all the great shows on the action network podcast. Also make sure to check out the favorites twice a week with Chad Millman and Simon Hunter. It's a great show. Download the Action Network app on your mobile device right now. For Raheem Palmer, Brandon Anderson, I'm Matt Moore. Thanks for joining us on the Action Network NBA podcast. We're finished talking. <laughs>